guys, welcome to Foreign Connect podcast. Um, how are you doing today? I'm doing really, really well. And thank you so much for inviting me. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to be on your podcast. Thank you very much. So let's jump, uh, jump right on to the questions that I have. Uh, I'm very impressed by your, uh, what you've done already so far. Um, so let me, let me, actually, let me ask you, like, can you tell me your background a little bit and also all the businesses you're working on right now? Sure. So <clears throat> I've been an entrepreneur ever since I was young. I started my first business when I was nine years old, mm -hmm. when I was still in Africa. I was born in Harare, Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. And uh, what happened was I was actually um, uh, going to ask my mom for uh, ice cream money. So it was, it was a hot <laughs> summer day in Zimbabwe. And I went and I asked her for, for a dollar to buy ice cream. Mm -hmm. And she said no, because I'd been naughty that day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in my mind, I was like, hey, how can one person dictate my ice cream destiny? I mean, <laughs> she, she, she had the power mm -hmm. to decide that, you know, because she didn't feel like she wanted to give me ice cream money. I wasn't having ice, ice cream that day. So I wanted to change that because right. I, I felt like I needed to be in control. If I wanted to have an ice cream, I should have an ice cream. Mm -hmm. So I saw that my neighbor's windows were dirty. So I took a bucket and my mother's cleaning supplies. And I went over to my neighbor and I asked if I could clean her windows. And she said, yeah. So I cleaned her windows and she gave me five bucks. And the next day when the ice cream truck came by, I bought my own ice cream with my own money. So that's how I got into entrepreneurship. And then when I came to America to study, I started my second business, which was a clothing line. So we made t-shirts, shorts, a whole bunch of stuff. And um, it was a social enterprise. And we would donate 20% uh, of our profits to educate children in Africa. And the company has gone on to educate hundreds of children in Africa. Mm -hmm. And then when I graduated, I got hired into a big Fortune 500 company, multi-billion dollar company. And my role within that uh, business was to create new businesses. So think about it. Um, that's all I did. I would think of ideas, come up with business plans, get the financing and create businesses for this big conglomerate. I created four businesses while I was in that uh, engine. One of the most successful ones was a meal delivery business. Mm -hmm. And um, we were able to grow it, scale it. It reached more than $20 million in revenue in less than three years. Wow. And um, so it was really quite successful. Mm -hmm. And then um, having been in corporate America for more than 10 years, uh, I decided it was time for a change. I, I, I was making millions of dollars for, for this big conglomerate, but deep inside I was not fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So an opportunity came by to start a cookie company um, with a social mission. So for every cookie that was sold, meals will be donated to feed people in need. And um, when I started looking into the opportunity, it was really attractive because I could really apply all of the skills that I've learned in building and creating businesses, but more importantly, in making an impact. And um, the business idea actually came from Tony Robbins. So Tony Robbins was the very first uh, investor uh, in the business. So he's, uh, he's a business partner in this project. Wow. So I then became um, 
the awesome. co-founder and chief marketing officer of a cookie company called Nonbelievable. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's amazing. How did you get Tony to invest in that? That's super crazy. Well, it was actually Tony's idea. Oh, and please. they reached out to me, like hmm. uh, the group that was working on it. So when Tony came up with the idea, he reached out to a guy called Michael Loeb. Michael Loeb is one of the guys behind Priceline.com, super successful guy. And when Tony and Michael did the joint venture and they needed an entrepreneur mm -hmm. who knew how to create businesses from scratch, had food experience, but also had a social mission, I ticked all those boxes. Mm -hmm. So I just received a phone call saying like, hey, Kuda, there's a project that's happening. <laughs> you might be interested. Come check it out. So I didn't even know who was involved at first. <laughs> And then, and then when I went over and I looked at the idea, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, this is super crazy. I, I like it. Um, and I was in this big uh, Fortune 500, really comfortable job, earning a lot of money. But I was like, you know what? It's time for me to really go out there and do something that makes a, a big difference. And, you know, while doing that, I also got connected to some of these uh, influential people. That's super cool story. Well, thank you very much for sharing. Well. Actually, that brought me to uh, two different questions. One is a little bit more personal about you, and then another one is more about the topic of like courage, courage building up a courage. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with the second one first. You said that you left this corporate job to take on to the new journey, right? Which has more to do with like creating impact, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. But like a lot of people can't gain that courage to leave their comfortable job, right? Like what was the self-talk around that when you felt like uh but you know i'm so comfortable here i don't know what's gonna happen if i leave this position like what were you thinking at the time and also when you were creating all these businesses uh in your previous position like were they um mainly like a social enterprises you're working on yes so i'll start off with the last question so no um the other businesses that i created were not social enterprises um, these were regular for-profit uh, entities, but uh, even the cookie company that we have, it's a for-profit entity, but we've just decided to, to use our profits in a certain way, right? We've made the commitment to say like, hey, we stand for this purpose, but it's actually a for-profit business like, like any other business. So I think that's a key fundamental that I just want to share. Uh, in terms of your earlier question around, you know, courage and, you know, whatever, um, it, it really aligns with the message from a book uh, called The Game of Self-Domination by hey. this famous <laughs> author that I know. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, it, it was really all about growth, right? One, one of the things I've learned in life is that you do not grow when you're in your comfort zone. And I actually did a TEDx talk about it mm -hmm. where I really talk about growth only comes out when you're in your comfort zone. So in life, Whenever you see yourself feeling like, oh, I'm in a comfortable position right now. Mm. It actually is an indicator to show you that you're not growing. Mm. So one of the key things that really came into me deciding to leave mm -hmm. corporate America was because I had become comfortable. Mm -hmm. And it was for me a good indication that, hey, I've, I've kind of like peaked on my growth trajectory. I've been in this company for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot. I've done really amazing things, mm -hmm. but 
do I want to be in this type of environment for the next 10 years? No. Sometimes you have to change environments in order for you to grow. So that's when I decided to leave um, and put myself in an uncomfortable position because that's how growth happens, right? So think about it, right? In order for you, like, let's say if you're working out, if you run the same two miles every single day mm-hmm. for a year, are you going to be better? No, because you're just doing the same thing every single day. But what you're going to need to do in order for you to grow is you take yourself outside of your comfort zone uh, to do all these things. And that's what I try to do as I'm getting into business is to really look for things that challenge me, mm-hmm. things that really take me outside of my comfort zone, because by doing that, I'll be able to actually dominate myself, right? It's the game of self-domination. And that's what I've been able to apply um, in, in my life. And I wrote a book about it, uh, The Spear Method, where I talk about uh, how to really achieve success and fulfillment. It's really mixing in those ingredients of looking for your purpose in life, number one, but then making sure that you're doing things that take you outside of your comfort zone because that's how you're really going to grow and achieve success. But at the same time, you achieve your purpose because you've used fulfillment as that first layer mm-hmm. um, and filter to guide all of your decisions. So for me, it was making an impact to the world mm-hmm. and Nonbelievable gave me that. So that's why it was an easy transition to leave the corporate world to come to work on this project. Mm-hmm. I see. How did you come about that like how have you always been that way or were there any times in your life where you came to realization to think no i think i think everybody right you're not born a certain way experiences shape you right so I'll, i'll share a couple of experiences in my life that shared me so the first one was when i was about seven uh zimbabwe we experienced a major drought It was the worst drought that ever hit Southern Africa. Mm-hmm. Millions of livestock died. People didn't have food. People were literally starving to death. Mm-hmm. And with Nonbelievable, if you look at what we're doing, mm-hmm. we're donating a meal for every cookie that we sell. And the reason why this message resonated with me was because of the experience that I experienced growing up. You know, experiencing hunger. And feeling that no one should experience what I experienced has really driven me to really want to make sure that I am part of the solution mm-hmm. to ending hunger. So that was uh, the first experience. Mm-hmm. The second experience is that um, I met uh, a young girl when I was about 10 years old, mm-hmm. and she was also like the same age as I am. Mm-hmm. And I asked her a question. The question was, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. And she looked me straight in my eyes and she said, Kuda, my parents are dead. I don't go to school. I'm just waiting to die. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, I quickly realized that dreams are the fuel that enable you to achieve great things. And having that ability to dream is super important for anyone. So right. it became my mission mm-hmm. in life to help people get their ability to dream back. So that's why with my other entity, This Is My Era, we have a social mission centered around education because we've gone on the realization through that experience that 
when people get an education, now you can dream to become the doctor. Now you can dream to become that entrepreneur. Now you can dream to change the world in ways that if you didn't have that in education, you don't have the confidence or even the ability to dream to do these amazing things. Mm -hmm. So it, it's really those two experiences that really shaped my life and my career path right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, th those were kind of like two important um, you know, turning points in my life. Mm, interesting. Like, do you believe that education is the key fundamental for someone to have mm, the ability to dream? I think it's one of the major ingredients. I don't think it's the only thing, right? Okay. Can I tell you a story of what yeah. I usually talk about? So sure. it comes down to my mission with Life Up Education TV. I came to the realization that there's no purpose in life. But that's not to say that I'm a macro thinker. So I tend to look at the current state of the society from the perspective of like, not only now, but of like, you know, 100 years later or 100 years ago, right? Like that's the time frame I tend to look at. And that excites me more than looking at what I can achieve as individual life. And when I think about it like that, I notice there's no purpose in my life, but that's not to say that my purpose of, okay, sorry. My purpose of life is to live it totally. And for me to live it totally means I want to make contribution to the progress of humanity. That's my meaning of life. That's what I'm attaching to. And when I think of that, I think I get really excited about possibility, what human can do, what humanity can do. And possibility is association of future. And impossibility is association of history, past. And then history and past is data. History and past is equal to knowledge and our experiences that creates blocks in our mind, which makes us cynical, which makes us scared, which makes us like, that's kind of like one way to look at it, right? Like practicality over dreaming. And so coming from business background as well, for me, I deploy practicality over everything too, because logical thinking is needed in order for you to strive, uh, navigate through your daily life and also just daily businesses. But when it comes to dream, I associate the, cons, um, the term dream, like the capability to dream or having the mission or purpose in your life, a lot with more, more with like a macro thinking or less practical thinking, but more like emotional thinking. So less logical, mm -hmm. but then more emotional. Like, what do you think about this? No, I, I think you, you are on the, the right track in, in terms of the way you're, you're thinking about it. Um, when I think about the connection between uh, the, the, the three time phases, right? We live in three time phases, past, present, and future, mm -hmm. right? Where, you know, you should, you should use the past as a way to, like you said, get data points and insight and maybe extrapolate trends to help you apply good decisions in the present Mm -hmm. which will then influence your future, mm -hmm. right? So, so I think you're, you're looking at it the, the, the right way. Uh, but I also believe 
that you know we we create our futures by dreaming right so life education tv for example um or foreign connect um was a dream at one point mm -hmm. so at, at some moment in time it was a dream and then you used kind of like um insight and data points from what others did in the past how did others do it how you know blah 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 and you applied it in a present moment to actually make that dream come true so now you're quote unquote in the future from the day that you were dreaming about having these podcast platforms um but now it's reality it's your present does that make sense I completely agree with you. Like, I, I'm not disagreeing, but I just wanted to share my viewpoint of it um, because I kind of like, it took me a little bit until I get to this point. Uh, mm -hmm. And I agree with you because confidence, right? Like you're saying that the experience and the knowledge becomes confidence. And then only when you have a confidence, you can manifest your dream because you actually have like, backed up knowledge and it feels more real. Like it feels more logical for you to yeah. dream about something. And, and one thing I wanted to add was that, <clears throat> do you know the most important uh, conversation that anybody has? Mm. Do you know what it is? I mean, talking about dream is pretty important, I think. <laughs> Can you share? It is, it is, it is self-talk. Mm. You talk to yourself right. mm -hmm. more than any other person in the world. And it's That's, everybody. Mm -hmm. When you're sleeping and you're dreaming, you're talking to yourself. Yeah. When you're sitting and you're thinking, <laughs> you're talking to yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, self-talk is the most powerful uh, and most important conversation that everybody has. Now, the, the thing is, you need to make sure that your self-talk is empowering, mm -hmm. right? Building that confidence you're talking about because it can also be very disempowering. Meaning like if you tell yourself like, oh, I, I'm not good enough. It's not meant for me. And you're always telling yourself that your subconscious mind will then actually believe that it's true because your subconscious mind will believe whatever you tell it. Mm -hmm. If you tell it that, you are amazing, you're beautiful, you can achieve anything. When it comes that moment of doubt, your subconscious will tell you like, hey, you're beautiful, you're amazing, you can achieve anything, so go for it. And now you have the confidence to go do whatever it is that you need to do. So it's important to create habits mm -hmm. where you tell yourself positive things. Mm -hmm. And from, from my perspective, I do it as positive affirmation. So every day when I wake up, I have a routine where I tell myself positive affirmations mm. that help fuel my dreams, right? To, to paint that future reality. So self-talk is super, super important. Mm. And you should have a routine to really uh, help guide that thought process so that in that moment where a little bit of self-doubt creeps in, you can really pull from those, um, uh, you know, positive affirmation statements that you've built into your subconscious to help you push through. That's so important. Like hands down, like 
once again, my title of the book is The Game of Self-Domination, right? So it's all about self-talk. I'm completely agree with you. So because uh, part of this is also B2B uh, podcast, I wanted to ask a little bit more business, like technical question. Let's talk about struggles. Let's talk about struggles that you went through specifically because you got involved in social enterprises. Like, and then you've been you being the side of both, right? Like you, you have also funded many like for-profit businesses and also you've founded for more like social businesses. Like, were there any difference? Well, there, there are a lot of uh, similar things, right? Because any business has things that you need to create that are, that are quite similar, but there are a little bit of nuances um, to, to a social enterprise. So the first one is you now have a responsibility, right? Because you're telling your customers, you're, you're telling all stakeholders, investors, and, 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 and people that, hey, we have made a commitment as a brand mm-hmm. to make an impact. So there's that added responsibility that comes with, with a social enterprise. Um, because you're, you're, you've committed to making a difference. So, you know, it, 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 it's now it's super imperative for us to do what we say we do mm. um, and have, being transparent about that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the key major um, differences between having a for-profit business and a social mission mm-hmm. uh, because now you, you really have to, to do what you say you do because as you're building a business, you want to be transparent. You want to build that trust with your customer, with your stakeholders, with your vendors and, and your partners, which is, which is super important. Mm-hmm. But you also want to actually do what you say you're going to do, because that's the reason why you were founded. So in, in our case, we were founded to help fight hunger. Mm-hmm. So everything that we need to do, we need to make decisions based on those filters, like if we do X, how does it help push and influence our agenda of making a social impact in the world? So sometimes you might actually um, make decisions to not pursue certain good opportunities because they're not aligned with your social mission mm-hmm. and the purpose that you've set out to do. So which, which that's another key difference as well. Um, that, that, that I'll, I'll say, and, and it can be a struggle in, in, in balancing the two, because your question was, what, what are some of the struggles you face? And the struggle really is balance. Like, how do you balance um, driving the, the profitability agenda with the mission? So to be able to really like, you know, balance the two, it's, it's, it's a struggle, but it's doable. And there are case studies of companies that have been able to do it uh, with great success. Warby Parker is a good example where they have the buy one, give one uh, model for, for, you know, eyewear. So you buy, you know, their eyewear, they get to donate. They've actually been uh, able to surpass the $1 billion valuation mark. So you can actually do it with, with social enterprises. Um, Tom's Shoes is another great example, as well as Bomber Socks. So, you know, the, 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 the blueprint is there. Mm-hmm. And um, they've also faced those struggles of, as, as well, but they've been able to, to find and navigate their way out. So I think that would be the key, um, you know, struggle that I'll say, having been on both sides of the coin, it's really finding that balance where you really balance uh, the unit economics with profitability while you're also making an impact. 
Interesting. Like, were the process any difference between starting up like for-profit business versus social enterprise business? Not really in terms of formation, right? It's the same type of paperwork. It's the same, you know, corp dev and, 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 and thinking. I think the biggest difference really is the business model, right? Because now you really need to think about how are we going to price it? Because now you need to make sure as you're coming up with your pricing, mm-hmm. you are healthy in terms of profitability right. while also taking into account mm-hmm. um, whatever you're going to donate as part of your profit. So mm-hmm. um, that's one of the key things we spent a lot of time thinking about. And it's influenced the impact partners and nonprofit organizations that we work with mm-hmm. um, because they need to fit into that model. So I think, I think that was kind of like one of the key differences in uh, the process and really working with uh, the right partners um, and also making sure that your unit economics, uh, you know, make sense mm-hmm. um, are the key differences really. Mm. Can you go for higher pricing because of, the mission like is that how you price usually there's research yeah um that actually shows that uh and this is u.s customers so i'm not really sure how it applies globally mm-hmm. that u.s customers are willing to actually pay a premium mm-hmm. for a brand that has a purpose so yes uh, research has shown that customers are willing to pay a little bit more mm-hmm. for brands that stand for something mm-hmm. than just any brand. So, um, <clears throat> so it's 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 definitely possible for 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 us to 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 compete uh, based on price. Mm, I see. So I have two more questions. Um, mm-hmm. The first one is. Actually, it's going to be more personal question from now on. Mm -hmm. And what I want to ask the first is, you know, you shared me your background earlier, right? And there's something I wanted to ask you is I often tell people that advantage of not having anything is not having anything, right? That's what I tell people. And what do you think about that? I think it's a, it's an interesting uh, question, but uh, what I would say is that when you don't have anything, it actually means that you have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's actually a, a, an advantage there because a lot of people get stuck on, oh, I'm going to lose this, right? Mm-hmm. And that fear of losing something can actually restrict them from doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have anything to lose, it only means that upward is the only way you can go. You're okay. free. You don't have anything weighing you down or any attachments that might, you know, let fear creep in Mm -hmm. and affect your decision-making mechanism. So I actually like that quote um, of having that mindset of like, hey, I I don't have anything. So that's actually an advantage, meaning that you have nothing to lose. So anything that you do is going to be a win. Do you think that, you know, like, Obviously, you know, you didn't grow up in USA, for example, right? And then also you've also experienced hunger and, you know, you, you have a set of experience that a lot of people who grew up in the States didn't get to experience. Do you think that 
definitely became your advantage? Like, was there a role? Um, your background? I, yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't use the word advantage, so <laughs> to say, but I think it has helped me bring diversity, mm -hmm. a diverse way of thinking to the right. table. Mm. And it's a unique way of thinking that mixed up with other people from other cultures and mm -hmm. other experiences, you now have a very uh, comprehensive look. So, for example, you grew up, you know, in Japan and, mm -hmm. you know, your experience. So imagine you then working with, with someone who grew up in Africa and someone who grew up in Europe and someone who grew up in America. Now, having the best of all the worlds it actually makes the, the team stronger. So, right. so what, what I can share is I do bring a unique perspective to the table. Mm -hmm. um, and I also do value that my perspective alone is, is not the best, right? right. Um, but it's different. And I think that you should appreciate that. And then other people also bring unique uh, experiences to the table. So I think we all need to be open-minded uh, about learning from each other Mm -hmm. but also bringing our um, experiences, you know, and, 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 and things that are unique about us to the table. What I've found sometimes is that people who come from different cultures and when they come to an America, like to a place like America, for example, mm -hmm. they then tend to not want to bring those unique experiences and things that they learned that a lot of the Americans didn't get to learn mm -hmm. and try to fit in into kind of like the American context. So what you're actually doing there is, is you're, you're, you're doing a disservice, not to just yourself, but to the entire group, because now they get to miss out on the amazing perspective that you can bring to the table. So I do believe that everybody is unique and you have something to give and contribute mm -hmm. and you should not be afraid to, 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 to bring that uniqueness because it's only you who can bring it. So every day you need to show up and, and show your uniqueness because that's how you add flavor and value to, to, to life. And as they say, variety is the spice of life. That's right. I, I completely agree with you. Like the innovation only happens when you can appreciate the differences, right? And yes. for me, I guess I phrased my questions slightly wrong way. Like I didn't intend to, I guess I'm going to, rephrase my question a little bit um and with you know what you said is amazing right I, I just wanted to slightly change my angle of the question so when i said about advantage right like not having anything is actually mm -hmm. your advantage uh we touched on like you have nothing to lose right like that's a courage that's an edge um that you you can gain from that state but i want to talk about uh, mental strength, right? Like, do you think that not having anything allows you to be stronger or look at things from more like grounded and then, you know, perspective of gratitude? Like, do you, do you believe that? Can you, I, I believe it's all down to the person. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, not all people who have nothing, you know, get to build that mental strength. Some people, it actually defeats them because now they feel less confident and they feel like they're nothing and it eats into their self-esteem and self-worth. Mm -hmm. I think it all comes down to, to the person because there are some people who have, who have it all, but they're miserable. They're miserable billionaires out there. 
miserable millionaires. Right. Um, but there are also some people who are poor, but because of their mindset, they see things differently. So I think it all comes down to the individual and to the self-talk. Remember what we we're talking about earlier around the story you're telling yourself, mm -hmm. right? So if you tell yourself a good story, regardless of your external materialistic realities, right? Mm. Um, you then, you know, shape whatever you feel, right? Mm. And these are just belief systems. So I really think it comes down to the belief system where do you come from a glass half empty or glass half full type of belief system? Because you can put the same two people in the same environment, same circumstance, but they can have totally different experiences. Mm -hmm. Someone might feel like, oh my God, this place sucks. Or someone will be like, oh my God, this is the best place ever. You can just go to a party mm -hmm. and same music, same people, same environment. And someone is on their phone and they want to leave. They're not enjoying and experiencing the, the environment. And someone is having the time of their life. So it really all comes down to the person um, and, and what they think about it. Let's talk about blaming, self-blaming, right? And actually, you said something that triggered me a little bit earlier. Um, you said, you know, when you are running like social enterprise, you need a balance between profitability and then like social purpose, right? And mm -hmm. like, this is something that, I even have struggled before at personal level, like not even at the business level, you know, in life, like sometimes you just feel like you want to give people, but then you also have your own need, right. That you want to meet. And then I think it comes back to my ultimate purpose and mission in my life which connected to Life Up Education TV is I want to create a state of abundance rather than scarcity, like in short, right? And when I want to do that, I have to lead by example. I want to give people regardless of like whatever I have, right? Mm -hmm. And when I fail to do it, for example, I go into this loop of like, you know, blaming myself and just, you know, and do you have any insight around it? Like, have you ever experienced anything like that where you felt almost kind of like guilty of not being able to give something to someone? So I have. You have? Okay. Share me. A lot of times. Let me know. Okay. How did you? So <clears throat> I came from a, you know, lower middle class family. My parents couldn't afford the opportunity, like they couldn't afford to pay for my American education. Mm -hmm. So I had to get scholarships, right? In order for me to come to America. Mm. And when I came to America, uh, one of the key things that I realized was that um, I wasn't the only one mm -hmm. who wanted to come to America. There, there are millions of Africans, you know, Asians, South Americans, like so many people from all over the world who want the opportunity to come to America to study. And I was one of the lucky few that were given that opportunity. So I always had this guilt of like, number one, why me? And what can I do to give back to others? Like I need to give back. Um, and I felt like when I wasn't giving back, I was being quote unquote selfish. I'm not helping people. But 
I learned something. And I actually learned this as I was um, going through the pilot training, because I went to study aviation as well when I was in college. And I learned something during that uh, time. And whenever you are on a plane, mm -hmm. they always tell you, put the mask first on yourself mm -hmm. before you put the mask on someone else. Mm -hmm. Why do they do that? Because otherwise you die and then the other person will die. <laughs> if you so can't... it's important to focus on improving yourself mm. and really building yourself because the more and more you become, mm -hmm. the more impact you can make. So sometimes we get into this whole rut where when we're growing, we then go like, oh, we need to give yes, it's important for you to give. And then you start giving and you stop focusing on your own personal growth, meaning that you can now only give 10%. But if you focused on also growing and growing and growing and becoming better and better and better, now you can even do more because you focused on your growth. So I think coming back to what I spoke about earlier, you now need to find the balance as to your own um, mechanism. And the other thing that I've also realized is that the more you also give, the more you also get, because it's, it's just a, a law, a principle in life. So what I've kind of like come to the conclusion of is that I will do the best that I can mm -hmm. to contribute and give and make a difference, but I will also make a double effort on growing. Because the more I grow, the more I can give. I can mentor others. I can use my experiences and, and other things to actually make more impact in the world than if I had just stayed in this one place. So for, from my perspective, that's, that's kind of like it. And then lastly, and I actually talk about it in my book, I learned a concept uh, from a guy called Ron Cordes. Um, he's the founder of the Cordes Foundation. And he basically said that life is in three stages. Mm -hmm. Stage number one, learn. So you're learning, mm -hmm. right? So the first third of your life, you're going to school, you're learning and whatnot. And then the second phase of your life is earn. When you're working and you're earning money. And then the last phase in life is return. So once you retire, you can actually return and make a difference and whatnot. So as you're going through the first and second phase, you need to be thinking about how you maximize learning and how you maximize earning. Because if you maximize those two, during those two phases of your life, you can then maximize returning. Mm. So the challenge that a lot of people then do is they then try to maximize returning when they should be learning and earning. Right. Mm -hmm. So now you just really need to think about how you balance that um, and you, you have an understanding of your phases in life. Because if let's say you're going to live up until you're 80, yes, you shouldn't wait until you're 80 to start giving back, right? But you can maximize your learning and earning phase so that by the time you stop, you now have more resources to give. Mm. 
and you you're not earning as you were before now you can give you can give your time you can give your resources and so forth and so forth so that's the way i look at it mm, that's really beautiful i feel like a lot of people don't even get there like don't even get to think that way like there's three phases i feel like people usually want to retire but they don't connect that retirement with giving back i think mm -hmm. very like self-driven so it's beautiful that you have that concept um well Kura, well thank you very much for your time today we got a lot of interesting insights so i'm really excited to publish this episode all right cool thank you so much for having me oh thank you very much